Walkers. Welcome to No Prize from God, Episode 8. No Prize from God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. Our guest today is heavy music icon, Max Cavalera. I first had the opportunity to interview Max back in 1998. I've interviewed him several times since, but more importantly, I've gotten to become good friends with both Max and in particular his wife, Gloria Cavalera. Gloria, of course, is also Max's longtime manager. Gloria and I, together with our friend and Mastodon manager, Nick John, manage the band Killer Be Killed together, which features Max Cavalera, Greg from the Dillinger Escape Plan, Troy from Mastodon, and Ben from Converge. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with Max Cavalera or might need a refresher course, I'm going to read a little bit of something I wrote just a few years ago, and then we're going to jump right into this conversation. Max Cavalera is the walking embodiment of creative energy, of all of the diverse layers of urgency that are possible from that select few whose artistic output defines genres. Mystic shaman, protest singer, revolutionary hero, everyday metalhead, furious consumer of heavy music of all shades, husband, father, leader, songwriter... Cavalera reigns as the adoptive tribal chief of a generation of fans, stretching from the roughest slums of South America to the coldest confines of Russia. Anywhere that people are disenfranchised, the songs of Soulfly can serve as their anthem. Armed with Max Cavalera's four-string guitars, unmistakable growl, and instantly recognizable riffs, the muddy tones and constant rhythmic bounce of Soulfly has retained its gritty edge while pushing the boundaries of what's possible in metal. A trailblazing pioneer and musician with millions of albums sold, who nevertheless retains boundless street cred due to his grimy, raw, and undeniable authenticity. Max Cavalera is one of the most prolific artists the realm of heavy music has ever known. There's Cavalera Conspiracy, which reunited Max with his brother and former bandmate Igor Cavalera. There was the brutal attack of Nail Bomb, Max's collaboration with Alex Newport from Fudge Tunnel, which also included members of the Dead Kennedys, Frontline Assembly, Biohazard, and Neurosis when they played on stage. And there's Killer Be Killed, which I just mentioned. And, of course, there's Max's unassailable work as Sepultura's founder, leading the Brazilian band from their badass lo-fi beginnings through their era of sophisticated thrash classics like Arise and Beneath the Remains, up through the cultural landmark that is Roots. Soulfly began almost instantaneously after Max's departure from the band he co-founded. The self-titled Soulfly debut sold over a half a million copies in the United States alone, further expanding upon the tribal foundation of Roots with its percussive instrumentation, forays into esoteric sounds, and multiple guests. I am on a 
across the multiple Soulfly albums and never-ending tours that have followed, Max has worked with the who's who of the heavy music scene as bandmates, guest musicians, and touring members, including guys from Slipknot, Slayer, Megadeth, Deftones, Radiohead, Stone Sour, Cypress Hill, Machine Head, Devil Driver, Fear Factory, Morbid Angel, Throwdown, Borknagar, Will Haven, and Cattle Decapitation, among others. Max points to Black Sabbath's Symptom of the Universe as one of the penultimate riffs of all time, citing Sabbath's Tony Iommi and Metallica frontman James Hetfield as among the riff masters he most admires. Even as Max continues to consume new music from bands like Nails, even as he revisits seminal material from Metallica, Slayer, Corrosion Conformity, and the like, and indulges his penchant for world music while getting his hands on his other projects and collaborations, it all adds up to a singular, distinct, straightforward, and riff-heavy machine known to the world as Max Caballera. So excited to have Max on No Prize from God. Max had such an intense and unique upbringing in Brazil, much of it detailed in his autobiography, My Bloody Roots, from Sepultura to Soulfly and Beyond, which was co-written with journalist Joel MacGyver, with a foreword by Dave Grohl. Max's life certainly hasn't been without its tragedies, from the death of his father to the loss of his stepson, Dana, various struggles over the years with substances, and the legendary falling out with Sepultura, the band that he left in 1997. Through it all, Max's personality, his public persona, and his music has been defined by this uplifting sense of spirituality, even, even in the midst of this very aggressive music and, you know, oftentimes tales of darkness and anger. Max has never been shy about his spirituality. He's dedica- he dedicated the first Soulfly album to God, which was, as he says in this conversation himself, a very punk rock move in the metal scene. So here it is, my conversation with Max Cavalera. This is No Prize from God. to uh i want to start off going uh you know early days early early days you know and some things you talk about in your your book and so on um i know that uh your father passed away when you were pretty young uh you know my my mom died when i was 11 uh, and i feel like uh, when you lose a parent around that age i mean it's obviously one of the most significant and impactful things that can happen to you and i don't think i even realized until i was in my 20s um how much impact it had in in the sense of how it shaped my 
outlook on things and the and the art and the music that I gravitated towards and the uh relationships that you have, you know, whether it's with women or with friends and you know whatever. Yeah. So, um I'm curious, you know, uh, the two of us sharing that in common, I'm I'm curious kind of how that impacted you, you think in what ways that kind of shaped how you see things and uh, you know, who you became as a person. Yeah, I think that's that's for for me, I think it's huge. Um I think I'll go even as far as saying that the reason we became musicians and created uh, Sepultura and in in start playing metal, it has everything to do with the death of my father. Um, I think if my father was alive, he wouldn't. If he, if he wouldn't die, uh, maybe we we wouldn't even touch music because we just like soccer. You know, we just really just love going to stadiums with him and watching soccer and didn't really care for music at all. was not part of our life at all. Um, and then he passed away in 79. And then in 81, a cousin of ours takes us to see Queen playing live in Brazil. Mamma mia, mamma mia. Mamma mia, let me go. Beelzebub has a devil put aside for me, for me. does it queen does it for us you know yeah yeah uh, after watching queen play live the, they were touring for the game it was like this amazing show with lights and great music you know queen is such a great band and um it was in the same place that we used to, we go see our team play palmeiras and that changed our life man so i i really believe in two things that by my father dying somehow led us to um, discover music and fell, fell in love with music. And he had, the other thing is his presence, always also be really big part of, of my, especially my anger, you know, because I really never understood his death. It was like this kind of like, almost like mad, of, mad at God or something for a while, you know, and uh, why you, you took him away from us, you know, type type thing. And so I think, like, uh, the early stuff, even though it was really kind of created 
ripping off European bands had a bit of that anger towards God with stuff like Morbid Divisions and Bastard Devastation. Uh, even though it's like uh, copying European bands, name name of songs, in the inner, somewhere in the inside of that anger is a bit of that anger against God for doing that, you know? Um, I'm in peace with it now, most of it. And I understand, I think sometimes... Uh, that just happens. He, uh, God needs people more than we do and takes them away from us. That's like what happened to Dana in 96, you know. Um, you have to make peace with it, you know. But but for a long time, that, that I mean, that anger was with me for a long time from, from, from the death of my father. And I think it resulted in a lot of the angry songs that I ended up writing. Yeah, I think um, without even realizing it myself, I think I gravitated towards angry music and darker music uh, is a way to kind of process a lot of those feelings and those questions. And, and yeah, and that similar attitude of feeling like uh, religion and, and school and every other system kind of failed us, you know, failed to. Yeah. And then on top of it, we had this drastic lifestyle change because when my father was alive, we had we made good money, so we lived really good. We had like a nice house, a nice apartment, we had a nice car. We had a house on the beach that we go every weekend. He dies. My mom is in total chaos, man. She's like completely lost, don't know what to do. She grabs the three of us, me, my brother, and my sister, move back to Belo Horizonte where we grew up, and we end up living in the back of my grandmother's house in a little room one bathroom um one one little bedroom for the for for the the four of us that kind of shock like the we're all of a sudden we're poor broke pissed off we had to work i had to go work in a factory you know uh we had to go work in a shoe factory and a, a hat factory and all that psychological anger, you pissed off about all that, you know? You had it all, and you lost it all. And uh, with one person's death, so much can change just because of one thing, one event, you know? That levitated us into heavy, you know, heavy stuff after Queen, after we discovered, like, the Purple Black Sabbath, you know? Um, we got into the real heavy stuff, Venom and... Slayer, and that was like perfect music for you know, like that's what I always say. Like, uh, the aggressive stuff was perfect music for a you know, 13 year old, uh, third war country kid. It's like it's a no brainer, man. We embrace that music, like, this is what we got, it's our weapon, you know. Um, so I think, I think that the shock, that that contrast from living good to going into a shithole situation <laughs> uh, combined with hating your job, um, not understanding why your father died. Then you have heavy metal in your life, like your savior. <laughs> yeah. Which is, it is what saved my life is metal. If I, totally honest, I can say, I can definitely say my life, metal saved my life. It, may, it got me out of Brazil. It gave me so much cool stuff. Of course, the whole ride has real 
it was real bumpy. It had a lot of stuff like the split up from Sepultura and the death of Dana and all that stuff I wasn't prepared for. But it never, it doesn't change the fact that metal saved my life. A lot of my friends were into drugs and crime, and a lot of them are dead or in jail. And we made it out of it, man. We, me and Igor, got out of there and made made our dream come true to leave for music, which is great, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Were your um, were your parents religious at all? Did you come from a religious family? Yeah, my situation in my house is very strange. Um, my father was Catholic. In fact, he baptized me in the Vatican, which was really crazy. I talked about that in the book. Um, it was a really weird ordeal where he knew some people in the Vatican. And we had a trip that's a month before he died. We, met, we had a trip to Rome. And... Um, I didn't know at all what was going on. I was nine years old, and uh, next thing, I'm in the Vatican with all these, uh, there's all these, like, priests and people speaking Italian, and I was being blasted inside the Vatican, un underground in the Vatican, like, by the catacombs-type stuff. It was crazy, you know? It was all organized by my dad. Um, he made the whole deal, he made the whole setup. Um, and I never had a chance to ask him why or why he did it. What was what was the purpose of all that? I never know. I'll never know the answer. I asked my mom. She doesn't know. Um, and then on my mom's side, it's totally wild. She is part of this Brazilian religion called Candomblé, which is kind of like it, it's a bit like voodoo, you know, and mm. a bit like Santeria, kind of. But it's really popular in Brazil. So they have African uh, gods mixed with Catholic saints. And they're all, to all together, they're all the same. They were in Salvador da Bahia, which was the first capital in Brazil. And it was also where they had the l largest port receiving the most amount of uh, African slaves. And so because of its history, there's a very important Afro-Brazilian community here. And this is also where Candomblé, which is an Afro-Brazilian religion, started. This is a, a very important Candomblé terreiro, or temple, one of the most important ones in the country. And uh, it's also a national heritage site. And tonight they're actually hosting a big important ceremony, and we've come here to see it. Candomblé is an Afro-Brazilian religion, which was formed by several um, traditions of the African continent. There were several inflows of the slave trade. They brought with them their religion and their faith and their social structure. In this tradition of Candomblé, we believe in one God, which is called Olodumare, you know, the, the all-powerful, all almighty God. And then we believe in deities, which are representations of energies of nature. In Candomblé, the deities are referred to as Orishas. There are hundreds of them reflecting different manifestations of God, like fire, water, or war. When the Orishas come, come to Earth through their followers, um, they dance, and we believe that the actual deity it comes to the Earth through that body 
of that person, which for us is, is something very good because we are um, able to engage with our deities. For many years, Candomblé was driven underground and the tradition still maintains a level of secrecy. Candomblé was persecuted by the police and the religious authorities in Brazil, so anything that went against it, uh, it was considered savage or witchcraft and had to be, you know, just exterminated. In the temple's design, you can still see how Candomblé followers once disguised their traditions from authorities. For instance, in this altar here, uh, it used to be in the old days, it used to be full of uh, Catholic saints and uh, the, the Orishas, there's a door behind the altar and the Orishas used to be hidden inside, okay? So the, 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 the Orisha shrines, they used to be hidden inside in the shelves because when the police would come to check what people were doing here, if they were playing drums and doing African rituals, they would be praying to the Catholic saints. Today, Candomblé remains a melting pot of a religion, drawing followers from all over Brazil and the world. So for me, St. Michael and Oshossi are my protectors, you know, so my, my protector is St. Michael, but his name in, in, in African and Candomblé religion is Oshossi. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a, an amazing world, man. The Candomblé, they have the Orishas, or the, they are the, the transformations of the saints. Each Orisha is a different saint, and they all have different colors and different outfits. We use some of it on the Roots video. You can see some of it, some of the, some of the people dancing with, like, real stuff on their faces, and when you watch the Roots video... It's some of the Candomblé people. But my mom was really into that. Um, my father didn't care. I, he allowed it. He was, he was cool with it. Um, so sometimes we had rituals in my house. And all, about 30 people will come. And they'll have, like, drums and percussion. And they had, like, singing, like, music. All these uh, rituals, people being possessed. You know, I used to watch that as a kid, and it fascinated me. I was totally fascinated by it. Um, there's even one time where my mom got possessed uh, in one of those rituals, and I was wearing a Venom shirt, and she freaked out on my shirt, and I had to take my shirt off and throw it away. Wow. You know, with the with the with the goat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is some serious shit, man. You know, like some really crazy shit. Um, and in those rituals, you become possessed, and you become uh, other ancestors, or, or sometimes they talk like in, ba in baby language. Sometimes they talk in language that you don't understand. Um, really crazy stuff, you know. So the Candomblé religion is really, uh, really wild, and I think it's 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 really. I, I, still today, I, I love to one day do a, a record, but now we're involving all the Odishas and all the entities and make. A full record with percussion and stuff like that, showing the world that that side of the religion. That's really cool. That I think is really, really powerful, colorful, a lot of cool images and stuff. So, and my mom became really, uh, real big on him. And after a while, um, there was one point where she actually had to shave her head, 
and leaving a little room for a, a whole month. She had no contact with us. She couldn't. She couldn't. She couldn't talk to us for a whole month. And when she came out of the room, she became kind of like a priestess of, of that religion, you know. So it was, uh, yeah, it was some heavy stuff, you know. So I'm still in contact with her, and then she blesses me and stuff, and, and uh, gives me a lot of. Uh, good energy, you know, whenever I see her. Um, so, yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely made my outlook on religion much different than other people because I had this other wild, you know, I had the upcoming with, with my dad, my father being Catholic. I had the Vatican experience, and then I had my mom with all the Candomblé experiences. Made me realize that spirituality is where I am. You know, that's where I belong. So I, that's why I like... I like spirituality. I think it's a powerful thing. I think it belongs in metal, belongs in music. Um, and I think uh, a lot of the stuff we do, a lot of the stuff in metal, I think is very spiritual. Even sometimes without the bands even knowing they're doing it, mm-hmm. I think it's real connected to spiritual stuff. Um, and and spirituality is also real connected to nature, which is an, another thing that I really love and appreciate. Uh, the all the nature of the world, so it's pretty amazing stuff, you know. If you really, really delve into it, you know. But I'm I'm glad I had this this upbringing, and I got to be, I got to see these different sides of of religion. I think it's really cool for it. It made me a much more, I think, um, I don't know, more aware of spirituality, you know. And I know for a fact that when you passed away. I have no doubts about it that you, that the people that pass away are in contact with you after they die. You know, uh, we had many things happen in our house through Dana. Um, sometimes the lie would just go on by itself. You know, weird stuff like that. And I, I always told Gloria, like, that's Dana. He's doing that. You know, it's like he's letting know he's around. He's, uh, he's watching you. You know. So I think, uh, and I really believe on the whole spiritual stuff, and I think a lot of the Soulfly instrumental songs are very spiritual. They were created for that spiritual reason. And I think it's cool to mix metal with spirituality. I think it's definitely a new way of doing metal. You know, for um, Americans in the kind of evangelical community, that Pentecostal tradition of speaking in tongues, that might be the closest thing to what you're talking about, like these rituals where people become possessed and, um, you know, are speaking in these strange ways and, and things like that. Uh, but it sounds also so much more layered and, and colorful with the, the Catholic iconography and, and the blend of all of that. Do you know sort of where that tradition comes from? Is that a mix of, of, uh, you, you mentioned Africa and is that sort of like indig- yeah. indigenous people in Brazil mixing with, you know, Catholics coming from Europe and such? Yeah, it's all that combined, you know. So there's the the African side, which was brought by the slaves, and um, it's a lot of stuff from Nigeria, um, and um, Yoruba, you know, stuff like that. Combined with the indigenous stuff, the tribal stuff. Uh, so you have stuff like uh, all the all the tribes of Brazil. Of the Indians, they are very spiritual people. The the tribes are extremely spiritual. You know, when we visit the Chavantes, we got to, um, you know, see that 
in front of us 100%, and there's no doubt that in total uh, contact with nature and and spirituality through the chants, the rituals that they do, uh, and then of course the European also uh, influence. All that together, um, I think, created uh, Candomblé, and it's a fascinating word. I mean, you can actually uh, Wikipedia later if you want and know more about it, but it's like it has all the saints and they all have images, different images. And um, one of the craziest ones, Eshu. Eshu is kind of like, he's almost like evil a little bit. You know, he's like really uh, uh, kind of like, I, I guess, in, in, in Indian, uh, from India, you know, they have the, the uh, I, I forgot, the, I think it's Kali or one of those kind of like evil incarnations of spirits kind of thing. Um so, so he's all dressed in red and black, and he has a big sword. And Oshasi is kind of like the Saint Michael one. He's always like a like a hunter, and he comes from the from the the jungle, you know. So he's really, and that's the, that's the tribal side of it that comes out on 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 the, on the stuff. Um, so. I'm fascinated about it. Like I say, I'd love one day to, to really know more about it. And, and the place to go is Bahia. That's in the north and north of Brazil, where the Roots video was filmed. That's where most of the Candomblé, that's where Candomblé was born. And that's where you see a lot of the, you can go see great rituals. We actually took Mike Patton to a ritual when uh, when Fate No More came to Brazil. Mike was completely insane. He went crazy with this stuff, you know. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> you know, knowing Mike, I knew he would. And uh, he saw the whole thing, man. It was like he got blasted by the the priest and uh, the whole mute, the whole percussion thing. Uh, he loved it, man. You know, I think it was uh, it, it was so cool. In fact, uh, they had four shows booked in Brazil. And the first night was where we took him to the Condom Blast Sessions, he went out and bought a whole white suit, which belongs to one of the entities. Um, uh, forgot the name of it, but it's like all white suits, like uh, like like Papa Nebu from Haiti, you know, with a hat and a cane. And he came out like that on the show, and that was amazing. I was at that show. I had goosebumps, man. Mike came out all dressed in white suit with a with a top hat, with a cane, like an incarnation of one of the Kondo Black figures. I never forget. That was one of the coolest things I ever seen anybody do uh, in, in in music, you know. And it was amazing, and it was all from that experience, you know. So it was, it's it's cool. Like one day, I like to dwell more. I need to learn more about it. I really need to talk to my mother more about it and, and find out more more details. But I just think it would be such a cool thing to do a record involving all this, especially for people in Europe and America that don't know what that is. Yeah. I think they'll, they'll really... It, it's a bit more wild than Roots. Like, Roots was going into the tribe and was elements of Brazil. This is going into the spiritual world. So it's like a whole different another level you know of 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 different stuff to show to people but i think done with a lot of respect and the right way 
with the percussion, I think it, uh, I, I believe it, it can be done. I think it, it's and it can be very powerful. And I, I think it's interesting too when we were talking about the origins of that tradition and how it's a, a blend of you know this amalgam of uh, different uh, cultures and things intermingling uh, with one another in terms of myths and rituals and beliefs. I think in a lot of ways you can describe that as uh, as what Sepultura was. Yeah, that mix of of everything intermingling together and creating something new and magical. I think that could describe you and your brother and your your journey in music. Because I think kind of a big part of what Sepultura and and everything you've done since added to the metal community was, you know, their pieces of European metal, like you mentioned, and American metal and things. But then through this very specific prism of not only Brazil but, you know, the the life that you guys had lived. Um, as children and the and the different beliefs and things that inform that perspective. Yeah, and I've always been really fascinated by you know, uh, and I think that's all connects to spirituality. A lot of the tribal stuff around the world, you know, um, you know, we we visit some um, when we're on a soul flight tour in Siberia. We were in, uh, we saw a lot of kind of like the was near Mongolia. I was like, saw a lot of the Eskimo tribes and I was always fascinated by that. And you have here in America too, the Navajos, we do a lot of stuff with the Navajos. Um, which is, I just did like a month ago, a show. They did a, uh, a anti-bullying prevent suicide, uh, event. And the vice president of the Navajo nation is a metal fan. He was a Sepultura fan and growing up, grew up, grew up with my music. And it was so cool to meet him, man. You know, like he was he was a full on fan and knew everything. And I ended up doing a jamming uh with a with a Navajo metal band. We played two Soulfly songs, two Sepultura songs. And and uh right before this jam there was a whole Navajo dance and they blessed my family. They they blessed my whole family because I had it was me, my wife, my son Igor and my grandkids are with us. Uh so they did a whole ceremonial ritual blessing dance for us and that, that was amazing you know so um 
I love all that, man. I think that's all it's really spiritual, really powerful stuff. And I think it's cool, and I think we need more of that in metal. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm like I'm the guy to do that. You know, so I'm very into doing a lot of that stuff for the future, uh, including a lot more of that into my my stuff in the future. I think it'd be really cool. I think it's it's um, I guess kind of, you can say kind of started with roots, but it never really stopped it. You know, and and pieces by pieces, Soulfly One had a lot of it. Prophecy was really cool with uh, traveling to Serbia, Dark Ages. We went to Egypt, Turkey. Um, it's cool, man. I think it's all part of it, and it makes metal different and more exciting and uh, also spiritual, you know, which I think is uh, it's really cool. That's one of, the, one of the reasons I like stuff like Gojira. I think, like, they, they sing about nature and stuff like that, you know, like 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 oceans and and saving the whales and shit like that, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's really cool, nobody really kind of like does that, man, you know, and, uh, uh, or you have like stuff like Malakash from the Middle East talking about all their, uh, things from Babylonian times and, and warriors and things like that, I think it's really cool, I, I, I think more people should do that. You kind of alluded to this earlier, and I, I agree with the sentiment that even some of the the more extreme black metal bands oftentimes unknowingly or something like integrity. You know, I talked about this a lot with DeWid um, and exploring the occult or kind of this reactionary aggression against the more uh, repressive forms of organized religion. There's a spirituality to that as well. You know, it's like a lot of the guys who make that music would probably hate to hear that, but <laughs> that, you know, for me as somebody who's a believer, um, I can still, be inspired uh even from some of the darkest of of nihilistic kind of because i think it you know goes back to as funny as this is a person to quote uh bono from u2 i saw this interview with him once where he said that uh all of the best music and art is either running away from the light or running toward it and what it all has in common is that it recognizes that god is kind of the pivotal point you know so it's like the best art is like trying to embrace God and love and positivity and all of that, or trying to reject it and run from it, but both sides yeah, acknowledging true, totally it. True, you know? right? Yeah, I, I, I believe that, and I think I'll go even as far as saying uh, somehow, um, not really taking credit, but I think uh, I think what Roots did, in a way, was showing like like people from different parts of the world that they can embrace their own culture. And I think a lot of the black metal bands like Enslaved and Immortal start embracing their, their Viking, you know, yes. uh, origins. And uh, has musically has nothing to do with roots, you know, like it's totally different. It's, it's pure black metal. Um, but I really think it's cool that they embrace their Viking heritage. And in a way that it was really similar to, I think, what Roots did. And I really dig that, you know, and I think, uh, you know, somehow I think it's connected, you know. I think at some point, one of those guys must have seen Roots and probably had the idea, like, we should do something similar, you know, with with our own culture, with our own heritage. Uh, Same goes out to to stuff like uh, uh, Metacash, like I was saying, which which I think is a fantastic band. Um, and there's, 
uh, a lot more others, you know, around the world are probably doing the same thing, embracing their heritage. Um, but I think it's really cool, and and I'm totally totally agree with you. Sometimes I think those guys don't even know, but with the stuff they're doing is very spiritual, and they're not even aware of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is really is even cooler, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, in a weird way, you could even say something like baby metal with its uh, mixture of of uh, religious deities and and pop culture and and silliness, and you know that it's embra- It's very, it's a very Japanese take on metal. <laughs> You know, I think always, always uh, connected somehow. Um, but I, 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 I really like kind of like the a lot of it. The visuals of that a lot of these bands use, I think it's really cool. Um, I was watching this the, the reel of this director that we want to try to work. with. It's called John Simnovis, and he did uh, the Nile. He did one of the Nile videos and a couple of Septic Flash videos. Mm-hmm and a Wrath in Christ video, and it was really cool. It was all this uh, pagan stuff, you know, but really kind of spiritual, but all this with, with really pagan uh, look to it, um, but really powerful stuff, man, really cool uh, visuals, you know, mixed with the music, mixed with, with kind of black metal, becomes something really, really cool. I think was really, I really enjoyed watching it. I thought it was really cool, you know, uh, so... I think it's, it's uh, uh, even some of the some of the Behemoth videos I thought was really cool for for their last record. Uh, some of the visuals were amazing, like the uh, "Blow Your Trumpets," Gabriel. I thought that was a great song, you know, and and it was really it's really biblical, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like like I say, it's either going towards the light or running away from the light, you know, and. Uh, but I, I think I think the the Satanist album was really, really biblical and really inspiring in many ways. And a lot of the visuals they use for that record, I thought was really cool, like really cool stuff. It wasn't like the generic satanic stuff that uh, that you, you you normally see. That was like more like a pagan feeling to it. That was really kind of cool. Yeah, and Nergal's definitely somebody that I want to have on as well to talk about all this stuff. Uh, he seems very fascinating. And, and yeah, I mean some of the some of the satanic stuff in metal, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously we both love Venom, uh, but with, with Venom as an example, it was very theatrical. It was almost like kind of like Halloween costume shop, you know, whereas right. uh, some of these some of these other bands that we're talking about um, are delving into things that I think are much more nuanced and complicated and and kind of more straightforward and serious, you know, which makes it interesting. Um, I love that you're so open-minded about all of these things and i think that that's something else that you could rightfully be credited with and in introducing it into metal not only in terms of the experimentation and the uh you know the tribal stuff and the percussion and all the different things that you guys introduced in the mid 90s but i think even continuing forward um you know all the collaborators and guests that you've had throughout Soulfly's career um the sort of pure almost punk rock things that you've done with cavalera conspiracy at different points i think that you know, that same kind of open-mindedness, it really seems to be a reflection of your worldview in terms of spirituality, you know, because you have that also that same idea, like you're not, you're not dismissing any of these traditions and you're also not holding one, one above another, but you, you seem to be embracing and, and exploring all of them. Yeah. Like, I, like I believe in God, but that doesn't stop me from listening to 
to black metal music, for example. You know, I think uh, I think when you cross the line and you become an extreme person that you don't accept anything else, that's when it becomes a problem. You know, when you are just totally. Uh, uh, when when you you are very prejudicial against other people, and you only accept your way, look, the world is not just one way; it's many ways, and people have different tastes and different feelings, you know. Um, and I think in my own in my own, my own thinking, uh, why should I, I stop listening to metal? Uh, because I believe in God. Should I just not listen to metal at all just because I believe in God? To me, that doesn't make sense. You know, like metal is the music that... Actually, metal is the music that led me through God. You know what I'm saying? It's, which is in, which is really crazy, but in a crazy way is what happened, you know? Um, towards, towards the end of uh, stuff like uh, the beginning of Chaos AD and Roots, where I become more aware of, real, of, of spirituality and God in my life. And I got a more start dedicating all the Soulfly records to God, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of a punk thing to do in a such an <laughs> anti-God metal Dude, world. Absolutely, I thought the same thing when it happened. The records to God, it's a punk rock thing to do. Like nobody else is doing that, you know. Yeah. But don't stop me from liking some of the the black metal stuff that I always like. You know, death metal for that reason. You know, like I love death metal. I love suffocation and. And, and immolation and incantation, all the Asians of the world, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't divide things, man. It's all part of it, and I, I'm sure I'm sure God understands that. You know, I, I think that I, I I believe my God is more open-minded than that. You know, I think, uh, and I kind of like to think that God was is kind of like how a, a little bit what we we see in a little bit in the in the. We read a bit in the Bible, and we see a little bit in in in, in movies like hanging out more with prostitutes and low lives than hanging out with rich people. Mm-hmm. I think he was more that kind of. Uh, I think Jesus was more that kind of person, and he was the son of God, you know. So, um, I I like to think that my God is more open-minded, and it, it allows me to do that. It's okay that I like that stuff, and. I will not stop him being a metalhead because of that. Um, but I embrace it. You know, I embrace my spirituality, and I'm I, I totally, I'm totally comfortable um, telling people that that I believe in God. I don't have a problem with that. You know. I would think that uh, you know you mentioned sort of that time in your life where you started to embrace this a little bit more, and that that KSAD and that Roots era, and um, obviously with uh, Dana passing away so close to that time period and, and the split with the old band and everything. Um, you know, one could argue that whole idea of things happening for a reason, um, that, you know, God becoming a bigger part of your life just before you endured these, you know, this huge tragedy and this huge change in your life and identity, you know, that that was important. Cause like, you know, imagine if that, if that transformation, so to speak, hadn't come to you if just a few years before you went through all that, you know, it could have been a much, as hard as it was, it could have been even harder in a different way, I would imagine. Yeah, and I, I believe, I think those, some, some of the stuff are like tests in your life that you have to, to pass through them, you know. And so I think dealing with the death of Dana, dealing with the split of Sepultura, they're all tests, I believe, from God, you know, to see if we can 
if I was able to pass them, you know, to survive them, you know, and I think that's uh, uh, sometimes that's what makes me most proud of it is that I actually survive all that. That's that's some some rough stuff. A lot of people, I don't, I don't think people realize um, sometimes how difficult that is to make that transition from a, a, a big successful band to create something new without knowing if that's going to work or not. Uh, that unknown is really scary. You know, so where I found myself in 1997 creating Soulfly, uh, Soulfly 1 was probably the most difficult record I ever made in my life because it was such uncertainty and and so so much uh, unknowing, you know, I'm surrounded by unknown. I don't know nothing. I don't know if this thing is going to happen. Uh, in my head, I'm thinking in, in a year, it's can be all, this is going to be all gone. Nobody except my new band. I'm done. I'm done. I'm finished, you know? Um, so all this flowing through my head at the same time, my, the other side of my brain is just telling me, you got to keep going. That's all, all you have. All you always had in your music, in, in your life was music. Uh, so Sepultura was like my weapon, and that was I don't have that anymore. So I had to make a new weapon, and that's Soulfly, you know. So I created Soulfly as a new weapon. But I kind of like build the weapon a little bit different. So I think Soulfly came with more spirituality, which I think is Definitely. cool. I think it's like there's a growth. I think there's you can sense a kind of a growth on a person, and uh, and I em- embracing that spirituality also I think was really cool. So even in the stuff like the Soulfly instrumentals, um, so but but I think the the best to me out of all that is it actually just the fact that I managed to survive that and and made it through, and I got to share my journey with all my heroes. Like to me, recording when we're doing these sessions with other people, um, everybody that you know, the Killer BQ record was one of my favorite things I ever done. Uh, all the collaborations, um, you know, which are, are, are hundreds of them, and those are all stuff that I, I really treasure, and are really, they're really cool, and really important in my life, and I'm I'm just real blessed that I, I had the chance to work with a lot of my idols and a lot of my heroes, you know, and I think that's um, yeah, it's it's a it's a great thing, a great feeling when when you're able to do that, and and I like to to see the future with more of that, you know. Yeah, and I, I think that's also, you know, something that you can be credited with, uh, really helping to expand and inspire in the heavy music community is that uh, attitude, almost like you know, I, I remember I, the first time I ever interviewed you, was when I still lived in Indiana. It was a phone interview, uh, but it was it was right when the first Soulfly record was coming out. And two things that stick out to me that I, that I've seen you maintain since then is we talked about the name Soulfly and how, you know, Sepultura grave, you know, was this, was this dark name. And obviously it has a lot of power and it still holds power, but Soulfly, the idea that, you know, you had this opportunity to, to start over and that you very purposefully chose a name that was spiritual and also, uh, positive and, and uplifting, you know, that, that, that gives you an, an attitude of, of something different. And also I remember talking about, uh, you know, around the time, I mean, that was when Wu-Tang was like in their prime. And I remember talking about with you about hip hop records and how, 
accepted it was in hip hop to work with different producers on different tracks and have different guests and uh, you know collaborators and stuff and and how you wanted to really expand that deeper into metal and I think you know in the in the several years since that first Soulfly album I think I think you've done that I think it's 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 awesome. Yeah, I think Primitive was actually like was so full of people. Some people were actually got kind of mad about it, and and I I I I read Chufi. I read a lot, some of the some of the reaction being you know positive, and some of being negative. But in the end of the day, I think it was the right cool record to do. I worked with a lot of great people that I really love, like Tom Mariah and Corey and Chino, um, Sean Lennon. You know, like. Itself, just just doing a song with Sean Lennon to me is it just a kick-ass thing. It's like it's nobody can ever imagine that to, to happen, you know. So I think that's a totally crazy, uh, insane kind of cool idea. Mixing Beatles and and metal together, you know, Beatles Sepultura thing together was to me it was so cool. Um, but yeah, you know, so uh, I always loved the idea of guests. I think. I think metal needs more of that. I think it's more. I don't like. I don't like to see metal as as competition. More of of a. We're all on this together, and we all get to the top together faster if we all embrace each other and go on 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 without really. Um, you can have a. Uh, you can have a spirit of of kind of like. Uh, I guess uh, combat or or trying to out uh, outperform uh, another artist on tour. You know, the, you always hear that. You know, you always try to, to to play better than the other band, but it's in a friendly, cool way. It's never mm-hmm. done in a malicious way. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I always love the guest idea, and I think I see other more bands doing that today, and I think it's really cool. You know, Gojira doing stuff with. with with Lamb of God, um, and and then uh, so many others, man. So many others. Like there's been a lot of, uh, you know, I, I, the 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 Fireburn, the Todd project that sounds like Bad Brain. I thought that thing was awesome. Yeah, yeah. With the uh, that's what is that the band with uh, Israel who was in the singer for Bad Brains on that one record. Yeah, yeah. That was great. That yeah. thing was great. Yeah. That was one of my favorite things I heard this year. It was really cool, and I'm. And I'm so surprised that uh, it's thought it doesn't sound laughing like nails. It sounds like old bad brains, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but at the same time, it doesn't totally surprise because I know that knowing Todd's background, he comes from the hardcore world. So he's really knowledgeable of all that. So it's yeah. But it was just so nicely done. It was so well done. Even the reggae song was like, "Fuck yeah, man! This is great." You yeah, know? And, and it's funny because. Israel right now. and Israel sounds more like HR on that record than he did on the Bad Brains record he's on. Oh, he does. <laughs> yeah, he's on more HR than HR itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
perfect. That's a perfect place to wrap up because, you know, what, what's more spiritual and heavy than the bad brains? <laughs> right on, man. Well, it was real nice talking to you, man. There's a brand new Cavalera Conspiracy album, Psychosis, which is dropping in October. Max is constantly on tour with one of his bands. So be sure to check in with Max Cavalera, Cavalera Conspiracy, Soulfly, online, on social media, to keep up with what they're doing and when and where he will be. Any Max Cavalera performance is always a celebration of heavy music, of his faith, of the joy that he gets, and playing the most brutal riffs anyone's ever heard if you like this conversation if you're enjoying this podcast please the best way you can help us at the moment is to go into the itunes store give us a five-star rating and leave a nice little review because the more of those we have the higher the visibility of the podcast which means more people will discover it and get to hear and share in these great conversations you can find me at ryan downey on twitter at superhero hq on instagram you can also find No Prize From God on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as well. No Prize From God is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. As always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downing.